So do you think that former President Obama texts before he calls? I I would think so. He seems pretty pretty hip, and that's that's sort of the the modern norm now. But do you think that he does that with Joe Biden? Oh, I think so. I think I think they probably have some type of really epic text message thread. Probably not with like too many emoji, but more like a lot of gifs. Like you know what I mean? Because there's there's so many good like memes and things of Biden, and it seems like he's relatively self aware of that stuff. So I, I think he would he would include a lot of that in their conversations. Wasn't there a thing like near the end of the presidency, like where like Joe Biden actually picked out his favorite uh like Biden uh Obama bromance memes? Or did I just or did I imagine that? No, he did. Yeah. He gave some interview near the end of their term and he I, I don't remember specifically which one he picked, although the one that he picked wasn't one of my favorite. I mean it was fine, but mm-hmm. there there were a handful of others that I, I would have put above that one. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll try to we'll find that and put that in the notes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that that's probably only second at the time that he met uh Biden the the golden retriever puppy as. Oh, the... that's so so good. I still follow that dog, and he he and Wilson are are definitely adding a whole lot to my my Instagram coping <laughs> experience. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, but the reason I bring this up is that uh, you you tipped me off to this, but uh, Joe Biden had a fantastic interview with terry gross well terry gross interviewed him um and it, it was just it it makes me so happy that uh, that he's still around and still being very engaged but also is someone that we can look to as an unconventional politician before that term uh means what it means now which is it was which is code word for incompetent yeah i mean i think with with biden i mean first and foremost what's most important is it seems like you know considering what's happened in his life he's doing really well personally which is which is really good to see um and you know fingers crossed that that continues to be the case and he perhaps puts his hat back in the ring at some point yeah and and that that was part of the the interview with terry where uh, like just of how the challenges with the death of his wife and also the death of his son has has shaped him as a person but has also energized him for how he how he chooses to spend his life and, and dedicates to public service. Um, did you have a chance to listen to this? I, I have. I have not yet. the The podcast debt is getting worse by the day. Yeah, you got to prioritize it because it it was it was really good, man. Um, and Terry is always always a very good interviewer, and they seem to both have extreme respect for the other person. Um, and what was the other thing? Oh, there's a really good. Well, I won't spoil it too much, but there's a very good conversation about about age in it um that i'm sure you'll enjoy okay um but yeah with this uh keeping on like the tone of politics uh the whole like uh, georgia sixth district election thing um i've only been following it like casually so is this like as horrible a loss for the democrats as it seems like was this like an unflippable seat and this was just like some uh like pipe dream or was this actually a crushing defeat for the democrats and we should we should have a lot to fear well, so as 538 regularly reminds us, particularly with special elections, you don't want to focus just on one. You really want to look at them as a whole. So we've had now, this is the fourth special election since uh, Trump's been inaugurated, where there's a Republican um, seat or a seat that, you know, currently it w- or was previously held by a Republican, where 
the Democrats have, have obviously, through a special election, tried to capture the seat. And, you know, in, in each case, in, including the Georgia 6th District yesterday, Democrats have gotten significantly closer than they have for many, many years. I mean, for example, with the Georgia 6th District, this is a seat that a Democrat hasn't had in 40 plus years. It's a seat that Tom Price, who's now off in Washington ruining the the nation's healthcare system, he won by 20 some odd points last year, whereas, you know, Ossoff, I think, ended up losing the seat by about two points or so. So, you know, I, the the narrative that's that's building, of course, in the, in the media is that you know Democrats are getting close, but the the you know that's not actually translating to wins. And at the end of the day, wins are kind of what you need. But on the flip side, which again is kind of the five thirty eight narrative, which is what I tend to lean a little bit more towards, is you know all signs are pointing towards you know Democrats potentially doing really well next year with the thinking being that if a Democrat can get within a point and a half in a district that was previously won by a Republican by 20 plus points, just the previous year, you know, if, if you translate that shift towards a Democrat in other districts where the margin in 2016 wasn't nearly as large, you can potentially pick up quite a few seats. But I guess point of order is that was it total spending or was this just Democrats where just such an insane amount of money was poured into this one single house race? Like, is it was it twenty five million across the board or twenty five million just from the Democrats? It's it was across the board. Um, in fact, I I believe that outside Republican groups actually ended up slightly outspending outside Democratic groups. Because this was a very, very drawn out process where, in fact, one of the kind of funny takes um, that I had seen was that Theresa May in Britain had called the snap election. And then that snap election occurred all during the period of time between the jungle primary in the Georgia 6th district and then the final um, election yesterday. So anyway, very drawn out process. And during that time... There, there's a there's a piece to be written about why so much attention was brought to this race. I, I think we're probably still kind of trying to exactly figure that out, but it it basically became like who could top who in terms of who could put more money into this race, and and yeah, it ended up becoming um, I, I believe the the most expensive house election um, in the history of the country. Um. And the only reason we're talking about all this is because we're, we're trying. I'm trying to delay as long as humanly possible the news that that kind of was was the holy shit moment from last night, and we're going to keep putting it off. So, um, other bits of stray follow up and stuff like that. Uh, have you seen this um, Apple Pay like super local San Francisco um, advertising campaign that they're doing this weekend? I have. So my, so I'm not I'm not going to be here this weekend, so I won't be able to partake, but. It is happening in my area of San Francisco. I I had seen this a couple of weeks ago. It, it had been rumored before it was officially announced. Um, I, I think it's. I mean, I think it's interesting. But the I don't know the the deals themselves, like the article that you sent me, described them as being these you know quote deep discounts, which I think that phrase is being a a little bit 
liberally there. Is it, it's, I think it's like 5% off, something like that in most cases. But it, yeah, conceptually, it, it's kind of interesting, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's uh, of note just because it's 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 extremely local to our situation, and also a contactless payments has been kind of one of our core themes. That 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 and Instagram dogs. But one, I find it super interesting that like the whole lose your wallet campaign only applies to Apple devices, which is kind of weird. Um, and also, this is like goes to like a broader subject, which is. Do you think tap payments are ever going to take off with the fact that you still have to carry a, a an ID with you? Hmm. Well, because it's one of the things yeah. like, where you can't like you can't leave your wallet at home. If, even if you decide to to pay for something with your phone, that kind of stuff, you still need your ID if you're going to drive anywhere or if you're going to go to someplace for like to get a drink or something. So I, I don't. I honestly think that probably does stifle adoption. And no other countries have figured out a solution to this, right? Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no like digital ID um, program that I know of. But yeah, that that's totally a fair point. Where you really, or like you know, taking other examples too, like you know, for us here in San Francisco with Clipper, um, I mean, eventually Clipper will also probably end up on your phone but that's a ways off and i think even like in new york with their metro system i mean they even for monthly pass holders still use like a little flimsy paper card so they don't they don't even have something like clipper so there's no no nfc technology or anything there so yeah there there are a lot more use cases besides just payments that you'd have to move you know, to your phone in order to be able to, um, as Apple and you would say, lose your wallet. Yeah. Interesting though. A couple other bits. Uh, CorgiCon was this weekend. Uh, I encourage your your pictures. Your pictures were, were lovely. Yeah. Uh, that that shark that you sent me from dog rates was there, Uh which which was extremely terrifying. I thought the beaches were safe, but apparently not. Um, but no, people should definitely go. It happens twice a year. Uh, so there's gonna be a fall one as well. It happens at Ocean Beach and it's, uh, super fun. So yeah, 800 corgis running around, just being adorable, being awesome. There were 800 of them there? Most definitely. Yeah. Wow. Pretty great. And how many did you attempt to steal? I didn't steal any of them just cause I think their people would have been unhappy about that. And I, mm-hmm. and it's just, I don't know. The world is already such a, such a disturbing place. Can't can't pry away a corgi from uh, from a good person. You want to you want to get a corgi the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to earn a corgi's trust and loyalty. You can't just can't just poach it. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think that's it. Do you want to talk about? There was a lot of news this week. There was all the Amazon stuff that got overshadowed really, really, really quickly by the the Uber stuff, and then there was some Apple stuff too. So where do where do you want to start? So I guess let, let's start with the Uber stuff and just sort of get that out of way and, and close what I, you know, this show has historically been surprisingly Uber focused and, and has been particularly so the last few weeks and, and for good reason. So let, let's start with that so we can maybe close out that, um, that arc of the, of the program. Well, I assume we'll still be talking about it, but did, um, 
Um, did the Holder report and the whole uh, Travis taking a leave of absence thing, was that this Sunday or last Sunday? Like, did we already talk about that? So, yeah, that that was the Sunday before last. We have already talked about that. Okay. So, yeah, so that that was, it seems like the company took a look at itself and, and, and its opportunities and its glaring failures and and was ready to make good on some of those things. But it all seemed like the type of thing that um, just rang extremely hollow when the person who enabled it and kind of led that culture into the ground and, and perpetuated that kind of stuff was still at the helm, even if he was taking a, a short leave of absence. And uh, last night, uh, around 10 o'clock, Mike Isaac broke the story that uh, Travis Kalanick uh, chose to resign as CEO of Uber, although he will be maintaining his board seats and, and voting power for all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, so a handful of thoughts here. So you, what you said is technically true he he did choose to resign and given that he holds a majority of voting shares in the company that that's kind of technically the only way it could go but in 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 reality he was or in in he was practically forced out which which we can get into a little bit more but um i one of the other things that i kind of wanted to touch on was and I, I don't think I really explicitly said this last week, which I probably should have, which is and I, I think one of the things that's disappointing about the Holder report is that it, it didn't call for Kalanick's resignation. And I, I was surprised by that. Um, I thought, uh, and I don't even know if the report actually explicitly called for even the leave of absence or if that was just something that after reviewing the report, other members of the company felt was was required. But, you know, I, I think I, I've been pretty consistent by saying that it's painfully clear that the source of many of Uber's problems have come from from his his attitude and the way that he's that he's run the company. And it's, you know, I just don't think it's at all reasonable for anyone to to make a strong case otherwise. I mean, the evidence is just painfully overwhelming. And, you know, that's what eventually led up to yesterday, where you have investors who I think are starting to see some of the things that I was talking about last week, where, you know, this is a huge danger for the company and a huge distraction to the company that could ultimately have long-term consequences, most importantly on the people and also on the company's financials. And, you know, ultimately that just wasn't something that investors could stand by. So all of that's true, but I guess my my worry or, or my issue with that is that why did it take so long? Because it's something that we've been talking about for, I think, literally three years on this program. And, and I think it's been a widespread concern throughout most of the public. I mean, so many of the controversies they've had that just could finally boiled over and all the controversies we continue to still like have like up until last week we're having like news stories about like all of that existed for a very long time so why is it only that the investor breaking point happened now so you bring up a really really good point and and raise a great question and it highlights that the failure in all this is that this sh- should have happened years ago and it's it's inexcusable that 
the crisis had to reach this level before action was taken. It's it's sad for the employees. It's unfair to the employees. It's bad for the company. It's the, the company should be extremely embarrassed that it took this long to get to this point. And it's it's good that it's happened. I mean, better late than never, I guess, as the old expression goes. But there there's very little excuse for it to um, have taken this long. There's no moral excuse, but I think there was a whole lot of excuses being made about the fact that, and again, this is something I'm going to stick with for like a really long time, is that because he was somebody who moved quickly and broke things and, and was a hard charger and all that kind of stuff, and was getting results and growing a company insanely fast, that so many people were able to look a blind eye to it. And I think most of the change resulted from uh, Susan Fowler's, not just recounting of a really shitty year as a female employee in the company, which I think just galvanize and and just put a good clean narrative on just the awfulness that embodied the company's culture for a very long time that painted this horrible cloud over a bunch of people that were doing honest spectacular work in terms of just like raw engineering and that kind of stuff but that it was just it was a, it was a company being led in a certain way by somebody of questionable personal and and, and business ethics so I don't know, but I like it's something that you've been talking about for quite a while is that the change is led from the top and also that the tone is set from the top. And with a lot of the key uh, leadership changes, this probably does give the company the best chance of, of surviving and, and running a company not mired in, in, in controversy every week. Right, right. And, and and yeah, I mean, you you raised again a really good point that it it's. I mean, let, let's just be clear here. It, it's very very likely that the only reason he's stayed as long as he has is because of the financial success he's brought the company, and that's and that's disgusting, and that's not the way that's not the way business should work, at least in my opinion, because of the point that I made last week, where I I view businesses a lot more holistically than just the financials, with with the fact that financials are obviously really important and that you don't have a company without healthy financials but there's just there's so much more than that and the fact that he, that Kalanick was propped up just by bringing the company financial success while all this other horrific stuff was happening is again I'll, I'll use the same word shameful I mean the 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 folks who allowed that to happen for as long as they did should be ashamed that they did and that they subjected the rest of the company to it yeah that's that's pretty fair um, in because res- last night was weird. Uh, like I don't know how late you stayed up or how much you you read on tech meme or, or followed on Twitter, but there was there was this like initial kind of shock and and happiness from a lot of people like in the media and in inside of technology about what happened. But then there was also this weird like competing narrative that sprung up that this was the wrong choice or that uh, Uber just fired its Steve Jobs, which is one narrative that that I don't even understand. Like, how do you view the potential, the the people, somebody who might be displeased or um, not agree with this decision? I mean, make no mistake, Kalanick is a extremely powerful and influential figure in Silicon Valley. There are 
a lot of people who I at least I would hope anyway don't necessarily agree with all of his kind of personal traits we'll kind of keep them generally but they highly respect his business acumen and the way that he's grown the company I mean <laughs> there are a thousand startups here in the valley that would dream of being even a hundredth of what you know uber is from a financial perspective and through that i think you know you've got a lot of people who who, who look up to kalanick for that reason and who are for one reason or another able to kind of put aside some of the the less savory aspects around about him so i because of that i think he has a lot of allies in this area in particular and it wouldn't be surprising at all if that narrative was sort of started by by people like that. I think that's fair. And how much influence like do you do you think he will like gently ease into the role as like probably an active board member and somebody who's still involved in shaping the direction the direction of the company, but like how how do you think that's gonna play out? I don't know. I, I don't I don't really know, you know, what the precedent is for this, where you have an individual who is, you know, has resigned as CEO, but who's going to remain a member of the board and who still has a majority of voting shares in the company. I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what parallel there is for that in recent history, if there is one. So, so yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I would want to believe that at least for some period of time here, the the public scrutiny is so high that it it would be pretty surprising if he tried to overstep his bounds. I, I think the real question would maybe be, you know, a couple of years from now, once people have moved on from this, have moved well on past this, you know, if he maybe then at some point later tries to get back into the company and, and do more of the day to day. I don't know. We'll have to kind of wait and see. Yeah, I think it's probably, it's probably going to be a tumultuous couple of months because they've had so many key defections or just so much sea uh, level turnover. Well, and I, I just you know, the the culture that's built up didn't. This isn't something that just sort of sprung up. I mean, this is something that's been going on for years at the company, basically since its inception, because it's coming from the guy who founded the damn company. So it's going to take it's going to take a long time for that to 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 shake out. That's not going to not going to change overnight. Yeah. The only um well, the last thing I'll say on this is that there was one hot take that I did appreciate or maybe a perspective that I didn't have before is that like Lyft has always seemed to have come out as the good guy in all of this except for the fact that like they have been kind of the person like hiding right behind Uber and they let them fight all the battles and they just quickly follow into into the same markets but don't face the criticism for being so anti-regulation and skirting laws and that kind of stuff. Yeah, they get they get all the benefits and and they don't really get any of the any of the blame or the criticism. So that's one thing I never really considered. When your when your um peer is Uber, you know, you'd really have to go out of your way to make yourself look worse than them. Well, but I don't I don't even mean the controversy. I mean like all like the stuff like when oh, like in, in, no, in I Austin. Know. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get it, but just, you know in in from the 
public public sphere and what people are going to pay attention to if you're probably going to be okay you know when you're standing next to uber yeah very very curious to see how the self-driving stuff pans out because it seems like that's necessary for any of this to actually work and i think this uh, the whole auto waymo thing's going to be kind of a mess for him but i think that's it for uber for a while Thank Actually, goodness. no, it's not. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, because do you remember what the lead Uber story was that we we're going to talk about this week before this happened? Was was this before? Yeah, because think about one like if you go to Tech Meme, like because you, you can look at it historically, <laughs> go one day before. Uber is now going to allow tipping in their application. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. This was the day before, huh? Yeah, so this is so yeah, so they Uber had announced um what are they calling this? It's like a hundred and hundred and eighty days of improvement. It's maybe got a catchier name than that, but the idea is that over the next hundred and eighty days the company is really going to put a you know, real uh, keen focus on um improving the quality of life throughout the entire company, including with its drivers. And so uh, there's a handful of, handful of changes coming. You've mentioned there's now going to be tipping in the app, which I think we should talk more about. Um, there's also um, cancellation fees now trigger after two minutes instead of five. Uh, drivers will start to get paid if they have to wait for a passenger for more than two minutes. And then weirdly, there is a two dollar I love it. I love sur- it. surcharge to the to the base fare for teen riders. I love it <laughs> because well, young people are the worst. And <laughs> uh, oh man, especially a young person with a parent's credit card attached to an Uber account. I think it should be way more than two dollars. Okay, well that that I I, I could get behind that being uh, being a two dollar surcharge although well we should i shouldn't even say that as a blanket statement though because <laughs> no you should if, if you if you Give want your evidence if, of if, controversy if, if you want your kid to get home safe and an uber is the easiest way to do that providing them with your payment information to make that happens not necessarily the worst thing let them take muni and build some character I think that's the SFMTA tagline. <laughs> yeah, may, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, all right. Um, but the the, the, so the, 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 tipping. the tipping part, yeah, that's <laughs> because. Wow. Well, can I can I can I state just P- briefly, my... please? Okay. This is I, I I don't I'm a selfish American with a car, so I don't take Uber that often. But my. Th- thing that i like of ride sharing and uber in particular as opposed to like taxis or anything else has been the fact that one there's no cash there's no payment quest like variability or any of that kind of stuff and also that either tip tipping is either strictly like just clarified as not being required not encouraged or built into the price whatever you happen to want to suggest that it is that was one of the gigantic appeals of of uber and and this I don't particularly like, or I think it should be mandatory. I, like either way, like it, it needs to be built into the price. I don't, I'm, I hate whenever the price of anything is not the price on the tin. Like I bought something on StubHub like a couple of days ago, and then you see there's a $13 per ticket 
convenience fee or or transaction fee on top of it. Like just the price needs to be the price. And the United States has this weird thing with tipping as a way of subsidizing uh, employees or contractors in Uber's case <laughs> that just aren't paid fairly to begin with. Like I I don't know. I I have many many varied and and frustrated opinions about this. Yeah, it, it's a mess. I mean, this is the exact wrong way to have tipping be built into the service where it's coming years and years after people have become accustomed to it not being included and it exactly like you said where it, it's there's not like some type of set standard it's it, it's just completely random as to whether or not someone would do this and and that's just going to end up creating a ton of confusion and I, I could actually see it end up just making drivers even more upset in some cases and, and just cause a worse experience for the passengers where it ends up instead of making everybody happier, it ends up just making everybody even more ticked off with the service. It's it's a it's a mess. Yeah, and, and I just don't like the variability of it. Like that's the one thing where I I I if if I need to get somewhere, I don't want there to be a a question of like what am I supposed to tip like it, it it's a it's a simple service. I, I don't Right. I mean the the concept, you know, pr- coming from like the the use of just tradition, traditional cabs, the idea that the tip is just built into the price was hugely hugely um important for Uber's success. I mean, at least for me, I mean, it was a huge draw for me where if you don't even have to think about tipping, that's that's awesome. Um, because because here's the difference like instead of like making of of instituting this which which i i don't like uber could just have rolled back a couple of their like dramatic fare decreases that they forced upon drivers because like yeah. their whole thing is that they aggressively slash prices to stay competitive in new markets or in existing markets and their logic is the cheaper we drive down fares the more rides you'll be able to do per hour and therefore you'll not making more money but if you just if you just say you know we're, we're not we're gonna increase the or or we're gonna move back to the price per mile or whatever we were doing a year ago when drivers were making more money that is essentially the exact same thing as as tipping or or whatever this happens to be except it actually just it it doesn't destroy one of the nice parts of of the service yeah now that that's that's totally right and i'm i'm right there with you where i i would much rather them just increase the base price of the service and continue to go with the concept that tipping's already factored into that yeah but i think okay i think that's it okay so let's let's move on to uh amazon They've been active this week, to say the least. Um, so I guess maybe we'll start with the the, the kind of the, the tangible news, which is the the acquisition of of Whole Foods, which you know not not something I, I think a lot of people probably saw coming. I mean, something that we could, I guess, maybe you know talk whether it makes sense now in retrospect but at least at the time was was pretty surprising um what what do you what do you think about this so i think a lot of people are looking at it i think there's a lot of ways that you can look at it and i think there's a lot of wrong ways to look at it i think this is probably a smart move from a lot of different ways 
because Amazon has ambitions to get into everything. Like they they already have cloud computing cornered. They have delivery cornered. They've built out their entire own fleet of delivery services in almost all the United States. But what this gives them is that they got a company for, and, and, and I'm not a, a market analyst or anything like that. So I, I don't know what, how good of a value this was, but most people from a consensus point of view, it seems like Whole Foods was having a couple of issues. Um, so overall they didn't pay, they, they didn't get a really bad deal on the company for, I think what it's like 400 stores. So therefore like they, they get brick and mortar presence in like 400 of the more wealthy uh, urban and suburban areas in the United States, which generally have the highest concentration of Amazon shoppers. So depending on whichever way they decide to take this, whether it be to uh, expand their presence in like Prime Fresh or grocery delivery or that kind of stuff, or if they use this as a way to expand their operations for um, uh, what's, what's the thing where there's one or two hour delivery? What's that called? Amazon Prime, uh, Amazon uh, Prime Now. Yeah, like so, they f- find a way to make this easier, like logistically, f- as a way to deliver things quicker in uh, dense urban environments. That makes sense for them. If they like, I don't know if you if like the Safeways near you have Amazon lockers in them. Uh, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, like I mean, the ones in Marin do. So they have like if if that just like every Whole Foods just like <laughs> the right side of the store is just go pick up your Amazon packages and get something from the hot bar. Like, I mean, that's also something that's of value to both Amazon customers and Amazon itself. So I think there's a whole ton of upside here and a lot of different ways that Amazon can go about it where this is kind of a, a, a very viable and workable um, acquisition that makes sense for them. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I tend to agree with, with all of that really and you think about the kind of the price they paid on top of that amazon's market cap went up 15 billion dollars the day after this was an or the day of the of this announcement and the acquisition was a little under 14 billion so just to kind of give some perspective about how much they're actually putting on the table here you mean it was free <laughs> well i've yeah free is it free isn't shipping yeah <laughs> That's good. Uh, um, so, you know, I, I think it, particularly given the price, you know, everything that you've outlaid, you know, it, it kind of makes it a, a no-brainer for Amazon. Why why wouldn't they try this? And I, I would have to imagine the, the data that they're going to get and the things that they're going to learn as a result of this is going to be just tremendously valuable to them. Um. And you know, not not to get ahead of ourselves with the the Slack news, but you know, I think when you also bring that into the pictures of so context here is there's been some rumors that Amazon's been interested in buying Slack. It both of these stories go to show that Amazon's Amazon's ambition knows no limit, and I I think that's that's really interesting. I we we've we've talked about this on the program where. You know what's interesting about them is that they've their their focus is in just fourteen thousand different areas, and they they just like they just kind of want to do everything. But for the most part, like the stuff that they really get serious about, they do pretty darn well. 
I mean, there, yeah, there, there's been the fire phone, and I mean, there, there have been some examples certainly that don't don't back up what I'm saying. But by and large, I mean, Amazon AWS is considered to be best in class. Nothing is like Amazon Prime free two day shipping. You know, Amazon Prime videos considered to be really good, especially now with all the original content. I mean, it's amazing how many different areas of focus they have that they somehow continue to do really well. That's the thing. They they sneak up on you. Like nobody thought that the the Echo was going to be a product that like it, it was so widely ridiculed when it originally came out, but they just keep iterating and iterating and iterating and they make a compelling product where they seem to have a pretty sizable lead on a lot of people in, in kind of consumer uh, very rudimentary AI devices right now. And yeah, like in with with Amazon Prime, like they built out a service that offered they they transformed from an online bookstore into something that sold almost everything, and they found a way to make people pay a hundred dollars a year for the privilege of shopping at Amazon. And then they thought, oh, we're paying UPS too much money, so then you know what? Let's just build out our own entire like nationwide log- logistics fleet, and just cut out the middleman. So like they, Amazon is very good at set quasi silently just iterating the hell out of a product to make it work. And I think, again, this brick-and-mortar presence here has a lot of functional ways that they can improve and expand their business. And um, like a whole bun- a bunch of their their um, experimental ideas, like the uh, Amazon uh, bookstores and the... Um, what's What's the No Humans convenience store? I think it's Amazon Go. Yeah, like that that could like all these things are easier possibilities now. If you just think about like the prime real estate that a lot of um whole food locations are. So I like I don't know, it can go in a lot of different directions, but I think I don't know, Amazon is is going to be everything eventually, I guess. Prime 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 real estate. I see what you did there. Oh, did I actually say prime real estate? Mhm. Nice. Okay, that's like eight show titles so far. <laughs> um, yeah, freezing shipping. I think that that's a winner. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think so too. But as I say, like yeah, but like I don't know. It, it, here's one thing where I think maybe this is a direction of the conversation you didn't think this would go. But Ben Thompson keeps making the point that like Facebook is like the government, like for the internet. Do you kind of get that idea? No, but that sounds like a very Ben Thompson-like thing to say. <laughs> yeah, he was not talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. He's talking about Facebook and journalism, but <laughs> right, like, right. Um, and I don't even think that's an NBA team. I think that's made up. Um, he is like just like a Facebook or a Facebook account is just like kind of it's kind of like your social security number, where it's just like for the internet to work and for things to happen. Like that, that is just like a fixture of the web and like your digital life. And he hasn't said this about Amazon, but it feels like Amazon is just kind of, it's becoming kind of that same way for like physical goods. Like you kind of don't have the option of not having Prime at all because you either maybe would want to watch something on Amazon Prime Video or you'd want to buy something from them occasionally. But eventually like Amazon is going to own literally everything. Like I know it's it's Jeff Bezos personally who owns the Washington Post, but like you think about... um not only Amazon for e-commerce, but Amazon for Amazon Web Services and um, the entertainment business, music business, um, and now like brick and mortar retail. Like it, it just Amazon is trying to own everything, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's just it's it's interesting. 
Yeah, it really, it really is interesting. We we spend a lot of time criticizing companies when we feel like they're not focused or when they're trying to focus on too many different things. I mean, I think history has shown that generally the more successful companies have a narrower focus. So for a particularly a tech focused company like Amazon, for them to to be in so many different places and do things as well as they do is is sort of unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was there anything else with like the the Slack side of this? I mean, I no, you know, when, when you really. and I yeah, when you and I talked about this off air, I mean, I think my my take was just sort of, you know, every heart's hot startup like Slack when, you know, Slack is really very rapidly kind of put themselves in that that upper echelon of, you know, startups that that people are interested in. There's always going to be acquisition rumors, so I think it's sort of just par for the course. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that it, uh, I think when we were talking about it off online, offline, you maybe you didn't notice like that Amazon is kind of trying to like tackle enterprise software. Like they have like their own like Microsoft Exchange competitor. Like they have all this weird stuff where it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that they would want to buy uh, Slack as like a more complete enterprise or like corporate communications play. But I don't know. Like it, I, I just don't. I think Slack is too mature of a product and a company, and is a much more comprehensive solution than something that would be a good acquisition target for for an Amazon. I think they're kind of in this weird spot, like alongside Dropbox, where it's it's you kind of aren't necessarily exactly sure where they fit quite yet, but it but it's a substantial standalone operation where you're not you don't really see them as a a subsidiary or like a a, a portion of like some big Borg company. Yeah, I the the Amazon Enterprise software piece was was sort of something that I haven't paid a ton of attention to. I mean, of course, I know of. AWS, but beyond that, haven't paid a lot of attention into what else they're doing for enterprise. So I guess, especially now in light of the whole um, Whole Foods news, it almost nothing should come as a surprise when it comes to a business that Amazon may potentially be interested in. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Weird week. What week this year hasn't been a weird week? I think that was one normal week sometime. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I think the only, I think there's kind of a lot of like non T word news we need to get to a lot, maybe some more um, personal tech stuff that we want to talk about this week. Um, sure. But I think the, the last big news that, that I had was a couple of interesting Spotify articles that came out just over the last couple of days. Which um, I, th- I think you get too happy about these. Well, I I just you know when much like Kalanick leaving Uber, when when I when a, when my particular point of view has is being proven out, I, I feel very vindicated. Um, so we'll we'll, we'll put this um, we'll put this in the notes. There's a a good good recode article that came out. Um, I guess this this was just today as as we record here on June 21st. Um, you know, talking about how. 
you know, Spotify is just in a, in a, in a difficult position where they've got some huge guaranteed payments that they, they need to make over the label to the labels rather over the next couple of years. Um, you know, they, um, have really low gross margin rates, something along the lines of 14, 15%. You know, they've seen their losses grow to over $600 million. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's putting some, some precise numbers to this idea that we've been talking about for a while, which is, you know, I, I think that the jury is still out on whether a standalone, whether you can make a standalone business out of streaming music. So this, this, this is tricky. Um, and, in because there was uh, some news earlier today that I, that I didn't read very closely about like Amazon or not not Amazon. What's the other one? The one with the A. Uh, Apple was trying to. <laughs> <laughs> it all blurs together. Um, what's the one that makes the iPod Hi-Fi? Yeah, Apple. I think, um, I think that's Google, right? Yeah. Um, like they're trying to go negotiate down the percentage of royalties that they're paying to to content providers because it seems like yeah streaming music is kind of a shitty business to be in, um, or at least it's not a it's it's a bad one to actually try to make money in, um, and I don't know it just seems really really challenging for a lot of people, uh, but I don't know like I, I want Spotify to succeed because they seem like the one that cares about music the most. Um, like Amazon or sorry, Apple pretends to care about music and, um, like Pandora, they're doing whatever they're doing. Um, but I don't know, Spotify seems to just make a, they, they also like relentlessly iterate on a product and try to do like innovative, cool things for people who do love music. And the people who use Spotify are very, very into it, but also because of the way the licensing works, people who actually use the service a lot actually make it a worse deal for the company as a business to operate in. Um, so I don't know it's, it's, it's going to be weird. Cause the thing is like, uh, Apple has the option of just treating, um, streaming music as just, it could, it could be a loss leader. Like it could just be a, a service where like people are opening up to the concept of paying $10 a month for music. And like, that's just going to be a thing. And whether or not Apple actually makes money on this is, is fine for them because having a complete end to end music solution for Macs and and TV and, and mobile uh, is something that you need to have. And they don't want that piece of the, like the puzzle to belong to somebody else. So they're willing to lose money on this. But since this is Spotify's only business, it's, it's critical that they find a way for the, the economics to work. And yeah, um, the, the music rights holders generally don't like devaluing their content. So it's tricky. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Are there any other big music players, or is it just um, currently Pandora, Apple, and Spotify? Because nobody uses Amazon Music, right? Um, I, yeah, I, they, I mean, like, kind of like everything else with Amazon, they don't really, you know, they don't really put numbers on anything, so it's hard to <laughs> hard hard to say. Let's look at the charts. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been more successful this year than any other year. Um, <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, like Darth says, absolute historic. That's right. That's right. I, you know, I, with standalone music services, it's, it's sort of, you know, it, it's sort of Spotify and, and Pandora at this point. I mean, you have, you know, like iHeartRadio, but then th- that get kind of gets into like, well, they're also yeah, like a big terrestrial radio 
brands. So it, it's, but when you, if you want to talk just streaming music, it's really Spotify and Pandora. And everybody else is really more the Apple model where streaming music is just a small piece within a bigger company as a means of selling, you know, more of, you know, in the case of Apple, more iPhones, in the case of Google and selling more ads, you know. Um, so I don't know, but we'll, you know, we'll see, but I mean, man, these, I've been alluding to this on the show for a while, but we, we don't have never really had a ton of concrete numbers to back it up. But the more and more we learn of Spotify's financials, I mean, it's, it's, it's ugly. It is. Yeah. And it puts Pandora's losses into perspective, but yeah, it's, yeah. Challenging. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think so now so we'll kind of pivot into the the more personal tech stuff, um, starting with the fact that you are the I would I would say proud owner, but I don't know if that's the right phrase. I'll I'll let maybe let you tell it. But you are begrudging owner, yeah, um, of a a new Retina MacBook Pro with Touch Bar, I believe, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's fine. Um, I I. I wanted a new MacBook just because my old one was just like the keyboard was getting kind of creaky and I don't know why. I just felt like I needed something new. Because um, I, I honestly... A, it's a great reason to buy a computer. Well, no, because I, I, I really... Oh, no, that was the reason. The reason was the screen. Because I, I got the... Um, because I was having a delamination issue on my 13-inch MacBook Pro after like a year and a half. And I got it replaced at the Apple Store. And I don't know why... Like, I don't know if I just looked at one of the ones in store too long or like the couple of days while it was out of my possession, like I was using my iMac a whole bunch, but like the screen just looked bad. Like it just looked washed out in like the, the old, like non wide color gamut display, which is, I'm like, ah, this, this is, this is the worst. So like once it, uh, WWDC rolled around and Apple actually updated to current Intel processors in a timely manner for once, I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's just do it. And then I priced it out. And even though everybody was like saying that the, the MacBook Escape, as Marco calls it, the like the non-touch bar MacBook Pro was like the one to get. I I couldn't do it just because it only had two Thunderbolt ports, and it um like pricing wise, it it's just an absolute horrible deal because the processor is slower and it's only like two hundred dollars cheaper, even though you're losing out on so much. So I ended up just saying screw it, and I and I got the touch bar one. Um, it's not a bad computer. Is that your that that's your review? Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> put, it, that, it, put that on the box. Could be worse. <laughs> so, I have a couple of uh, quick notes, but it's so the keyboard is not nearly as bad as I thought it would be, and in certain cases, I actually like it. So, like the the the, the key travel isn't great. But it's like a satisfying key click. Like, I honestly don't know if, like, with these new processors, like, maybe they changed something about it. But it is not as bad as you'd think it would be. Um, it takes a couple. It takes a day or so to get used to, but it's not bad. Um, the touch bar, uh, I disabled almost immediately um, so that it only shows function keys and none of that other, like, nonsense, um, which makes it more usable. Um, a touch ID is nice but really half-assedly implemented across the operating system. Um, I, I miss MagSafe. Um, you now mm. have to plug in USB-C, and that's that's a big thing to lose. Um, also, 
you don't what this is a really small thing to be bugged by but you don't get to see when the computer's fully charged because it doesn't have the light on it anymore that's oh. super annoying huh. yeah that that's oh yeah because it's yeah, right because it's on the the MagSafe cable yeah yeah that's super annoying hmm. um and then also one thing i'm getting irrationally mad over is um that when you plug it in it makes the sound that when you plug in an ios device interesting okay yeah. yeah, and and as somebody who 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 loves the Mac and does not like iOS except on the phone, uh, it just makes me irrationally upset. Huh. Um, but otherwise, it's it's fine. Space Gray looks really really slick. It does. Um, yeah, like kind of want an iMac Pro. Right. I'll, just, I'll go to Michaels and try to ask how do how do I make this? How do I make something a darker shade of silver? <laughs> um, the weight, uh, the half pound is noticeable. Um, so it is lighter and nicer. Um, inside the box, I think I complained to you about this the first day I got it. They don't include a goddamn USB C to USB A adapter in the box. So you literally have to go buy one if you want to plug in anything to the computer, which is really dumb because even on the iPhone, they gave you the stupid headphone jack adapter. And on this one, they don't. So like literally you like out of the box, you can't plug in an iPhone. You can't plug in an external hard drive. You can't plug in anything. And that, and that's just stupid. For for a computer that costs what MacBook Pros cost, there's no this is not courageous. There's no principle to stand. Like just stop being dumb. Yeah, I mean I, that that point's been made by a lot of people, but it it's totally worth reiterating. It it's it's just crazy. You can't plug an iPhone into one of these things out of the box. And you know we've I know we've moved to iCloud syncing and iTunes as being the hub for the iPhone, we, you know, we've largely moved past. But even things like just being able to charge your phone on your computer, I have to imagine, is a super common use case. And to not be able to do that out of the box is crazy. Yeah. Um, so that's it. I don't know. Like, not terrible. I've already uh, gone to Mac of all trades to sell my old MacBook Pro. So that's on its way. Um, I was gonna. I was gonna ask how you did that as someone who may may or may not be selling their MacBook Pro soon. Yeah, I had to go look it up because I totally forgot which company I sold mine to like three years ago when I when I got rid of the 15 inch. Um, yeah, Mac of all trades, they uh, were very easy to deal with last time, and this time it looks like I've got a pretty fair offer for my old one, and should work out. Huh. Very good. Um. Yeah, that's it. The only thing is that I and I think this has been my complaint for like the past decade is they they still don't make Macs uh, or MacBook Pros that have uh, integrated cellular, and that, and that still bothers me. It's really weird that the hotspot functionality in the iPhone is still as unreliable as it is. I went to use it the other day on my iPad, and I mean, there's still the issue where you, it takes like two or three efforts to get it to connect and that just how has that not been fixed yet and, and i know they do it because they want to be really conservative with the power savings but i just wish there was like a thing like where like i have my my iphone in a battery case just let it waste a little bit more battery and make it a less awful experience right right um or just somehow make it so that whatever device is connected to the iPhone isn't actively using the iPhone's connection unless that device is actively being used. I mean, just some something like there has. To, you know. Well, but the problem is like that if you close the lid or you let it go to sleep, it disconnects entirely. Well, that's what I that, that's what I mean. Like the, the solution around that. Yeah, 
solution would be having embedded cellular. Mm, maybe. I think they like the Microsoft Surface. Um, but yeah, the most shocking thing is, yeah, the keyboard, not that bad. Yeah. So with this, so the, I guess the, the thing, I've, the only thing I'll really follow up with you on here. So with the, with the touch bar, you literally no interest in using it for anything? Hmm. Like, I don't know if there's a way to screenshot this or if I'll just send you, I have to send you a picture tomorrow. But like, there's, because I'm like, when I first turned it on, like, uh, one, I always forget how how weird and terrible it is to use a Mac with the stock settings, just because it, the way they have it configured, just maybe I'm, I'm just an old person and I've just used it differently for a decade, but it's really weird. But yeah, like, just the touch bar is so distracting if you leave it turned on the way Apple wants you to, because like the just like this thing right below the screen is always changing and and flashing weird things at you. And when you're typing, it's trying to give you like suggestions on spelling corrections or it's showing you like tabs in your web browser. And it's, it's all just so weird. So it's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hate this. But then there is a preference inside uh, the keyboard preference pane where you can just say, no, I only want the touch bar to ever show me like what would have been there beforehand. And you can customize like, you know, like uh, volume, keyboard brightness, screen brightness, media playback controls, that kind of stuff. So that's what it's configured to now. Well, that's um it, well that was Mike's point, right? Where he found it to be really distracting. Yeah, and I was worried that that was not something you could turn off, but you can, luckily. Hmm. Because yeah, like I cuz I and that's one of those things where I I, I don't ever buy Apple's explanation that uh, the the iPad and the Mac are separate products and and because we think one's a uh, like a perpendicular computing experience and one is fully touch-based because the thing is like the whole thing about the touch bar is if you leave it on in its default mode, you're supposed to look down and use your fingers to like touch and, and, and manipulate things. So you basically are using a touch screen on the computer. It's just in a really uncomfortable, weird place to have it. So I don't know. I don't buy that at all. Hmm. So overall, not, not a terrible computer. All right then. Yeah. All right, what are the non-tech stuff? Did you have anything, or is this just Better Call Saul time? I think it's it's Better Call Saul time, and then we'll leave some extra time for your, was it 18 picks of the week? Uh, I'm going I'm I'm to call it down to like two. Okay. You're going to be so mad. One of them's the secret one you alluded to last week? It's not a secret one, but you're, you're going to be pissed. Well, you, re- you referred to it as a secret one. Oh, sure. Okay. Um. Okay, well, so before I get angry... um. Yeah, let's 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 talk Better Call Saul. Super sized episode. Yeah, hour and like sixteen 16. minutes, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I it was an hour and eighteen on my TiVo, but I always add two minutes, so uh, I had to had to do the math there. You advanced user. Uh huh. Um. So I don't know. I I I wasn't totally blown away by the finale. Um, but, but a lot happened, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess maybe first we can talk about what we didn't get. No, no Mike. Um, mm-hmm. which I guess means like, I, 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 to a degree, I, I don't know. I started to think about this. Like, I don't know how much more of Mike will actually see just given that like, if you kind of, like, you kind of think back to was it last week or the week before where, you know, he kind of makes the deal to launder his money through uh, Gus Fring's operation. 
that's that, that's that's kind of where we pick up with him in Breaking Bad. I don't think so. Like, I, I think there's a during like are there one or two more seasons? I don't. Or, I don't think. I'm I don't sure. think they've said. That's damn. We're unsure. Like, I think we still have a like just because with everything that was set up this time, where we'll we'll talk about like the uh, actress Almanca stuff. But like, I think there's a whole lot to be fleshed out with Gus's operation and kind of how that works. And I think over the next couple seasons, we see how Mike becomes like the go-to cleaner for Gus's operation. So I think there actually probably is still quite a bit to, to, uh, to go on there. Okay. Yeah. That, 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 that's a fair point. I think like for this particular season, I don't think there was a lot like, cause I actually didn't notice that there was no Mike stuff in this episode, but I, I, I don't think there's a lot that could have really been done. Cause again, like the, that's just too big a can of worms to open up for there to be any substantive stuff with him. Right. Um, so, okay. So let's talk about the characters we did get. So, you know, Kim, we, we, you know, find her in the hospital at the beginning of the episode. She, I guess, suffers a broken arm and, you know, has quite a few other kind of facial injuries, but overall in, I would say decent spirits where she's now kind of putting things in perspective. She isn't just jumping right back into work. She's trying to kind of just enjoy some other pleasures in life. She goes to a a blockbuster, which I thought was pretty great. Um, Rents a bunch of movies, you know, pushes out all of her meetings kind of indefinitely. Well, so, so can you, can you explain that to me? Like why it's like since it sounds like everything was going to line up properly with the um I forget with like the 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 oil company that's on the state border but it sounds like if she wanted to pick that back up or like have that meeting that that would have panned out. So what's your read on why she abandoned what seemed like a slam dunk client? Well, so yeah, so there there's the moment where she has all of her files at home and she's getting caught up and you know, I, I think she has the experience that that many people have, where you you go through some type of traumatic life event, which makes you kind of reevaluate what's important in life. And you know, I think she comes to this realization that having this law office and taking on all this extra work ultimately isn't necessarily bringing her you know, kind of the the satisfaction that maybe she wants in life and that there are things that are just more important, like spending time with Jimmy and just enjoying kind of the, you know, more fun side of life. And so I think, I think that's what, that's what you see. She kind of makes a decision that work can't be, can't be everything. Got it. Um, And then, you know, you, you get some really good interactions between Chuck and Jimmy the the best of which is is the last one which you know kind of ends with chuck telling jimmy that you know he should just embrace who he is he's always going to hurt people and you know he goes through the shtick of trying to apologize to them after and in chuck's words pretending that he's sad about it and chuck kind of just tells him you should just fully embrace that you're basically a con artist and you know, obviously that that whole interaction is just dripping with um, dramatic irony, given what we know about Jimmy and um, Breaking Bad. 
but then also ends with Chuck telling Jimmy that he never really cared about him all that much in the first place, which, you know, is just a terrible, terrible thing to say to anyone, let alone a brother. And the very opening scene was a flashback to Jimmy and, and Chuck, right? It was, and I, I, even thinking back to it now, don't really quite know what the purpose of that scene was. I think it was to provide context for the scene you just described, right? I guess. Of just kind of yeah. what the of what the two brothers dynamic was, but Yeah. Um so yeah, so that that was pretty good. Uh we we got a lot of resolution with um the Salamanca Gus Fring Nacho situation, like so take 2 with the um So so is your is your read on that that Salamanca just sort of maybe got lucky? The first time he had a heart incident and he was able to overcome it despite not having his medication. And then now the second time he was even more worked up and he wasn't able to fight through it on his own. I think, yeah, I think it's just that like he didn't need it the first time where he was having like a minor episode of whatever the cardiac situation is. Right. And where this time, yeah, he was kind of. He actually needed it. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then he did see Nacho after he he tried to take the pills, uh, pick up the the spare ones to collect any evidence of why that might not have worked. Right. Um. And I forget it was Gus in on it. No. Okay. But but Mike was right. Uh yes. Okay. And Mike is the one who gave him the advice of changing the pills back to their what they were supposed to be and and presumably what nacho gives the paramedic at the end is a different bottle that actually that has the actual pills got it or at least that's kind of what he was supposed to do yeah um so then you know i guess going back to to chuck so you know ultimately howard buys him out of the law firm so he kind of calls chuck's bluff and with his own money. Yeah, right. Um, and I think that, combined with what happened with Jimmy, which we talked about a minute ago, kind of leads Chuck into a, the the darkest place he's ever been in. So we, we kind of start the episode with him seeming like he's actually doing a lot better. But then with what happens between Howard and Chuck and Chuck and Jimmy, he kind of snaps again and then goes back into his old you know, electromagnetic hypersensitivity ways. And and he takes it kind of to the extreme this time where he turns off all the circuit breakers, but he notices that um, there's still some type of electricity in the house. And so he starts to try to find where it's coming from, which includes making a bunch of holes in the wall. And he's just just kind of of losing it, Um, which I thought was a really moving sequence they really hang on it for for quite a while and it it ends up being kind of almost uncomfortable to watch Mm -hmm. well yeah somebody descending into complete and total madness yeah yeah um and he ultimately so the the episode ends with with him kicking at a coffee table which has one of his lanterns on it and he eventually knocks that over and the the final shot is from the outside where you can start to see a uh, a fire you know raging in the house which you know so i guess the big question is is we do you think that's the the end of chuck or 
is there still going to be more to his story? To be honest, I don't know, because since it's Vince Gilligan, I think it can really actually go either way. Um, Kind of hope it's the end of him, because I'm not really sure what else productive could be done with this character. Because I, I don't think Jimmy, after what was said to him, would ever be his caretaker again. He's no longer an influence in the law firm. He has done, he's like reached the logical conclusion of any interactions with Jimmy, um, like in, in a professional capacity. So I'm just not really sure there's anywhere for that character to go in the actual story. So I think that um, suggests that maybe that is it for him. Yeah, I think narratively it makes sense for this to be the end of him where he's he's lost HHM, which was clearly one of the things that was kind of keeping him at least somewhat mentally grounded. I think it's really powerful that the last thing he said to Jimmy was, you know, I, I never really cared about you to begin with. I think that is another kind of, you know, stake in the ground for Jimmy becoming um, Saul Goodman. I mm-hmm. think that 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 makes a lot of sense narratively. I think I think it would be a, a little bit of a cop out if he comes back next season. I think I think it it makes more sense for this to be kind of the end of Chuck's story. And and we and we've talked about this before, right? Where it this was probably where Chuck was going to end up, and you know, sure enough, it was. Yeah. So yeah, so it's gonna be a long twelve to eighteen months. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. All right, picks of the week. Picks of the week. Uh, what are you what are you gonna pick this week? So I've got I've got kind of I was I was going back in the archives and and figuring out if there was anything from the last few months that I meant to include as a pick of the week and just for one reason or another overlooked and one thing I came across was so I mentioned that you know we put a TV in the bedroom with a TiVo Mini and that that's ended up, that's ended up being a really nice setup. And I think I gave, you know, I gave props to the TiVo Mini, the TV that we got, you know, whatever, just some generic Samsung. Um, but the thing that I didn't mention that that I really, really enjoy in that setup is the um, the mount that we got for the TV. So we'll we'll put a we'll put a link to the notes or in the notes. Um, this was a um, full motion articulating dual arm TV mount by Video Secure. Um, and it's it's really really reasonably priced. It's it's like yeah seven. It's well no actually yeah the the size that we got is like twenty four ninety nine. Um, and it it's it's a great little mount. It, it the the full motion articulation is is fantastic. It it really really does move to just about any angle that you possibly would want it to. Um, and you know we you know we didn't really have any sort of um, fancy TV we were putting on here, so we didn't need anything super fancy, you know, to begin with in terms of the mount. Um, and we've you know, been been really happy with it. Really easy to install. Um, yeah, I mean, for particularly for the price, really can't uh, can't beat it. Uh, self install or promotional or pro- promotional uh, professional installation. Self self installed. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Do you use an iPhone as a level or an actual level? I, I do use an iPhone as a level. 
It works. Uh, it works really well. Nineteen thousand reviews. Jeez. Yeah. So that that's you know I surprisingly the the wire cutter and the sweet home don't have a TV mount recommendation that's um, articulating, which is which is really surprising. The the TV mount we have here in the living room, which is just a kind of a standard mount, that one is the the wire cutter recommendation. But yeah, they they don't have any uh, recommendation if you want the TV to swivel at all. So. I ended up just going on Amazon and, you know, looking for ones with lots of positive reviews. And as you just pointed out, 19,000 reviews at four and a half stars. Very nice. And I always like those ones where it, it, uh, one of the key advantages of Amazon is where it tells you how, how long you have to order for it to ship by the deadline. Right. And I always love it when it's actually midnight. It's pretty good. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, pretty good. Yeah, it's, oh, it's a really, really solid little mount. It even comes with a bonus HDMI cable. All right. <laughs> it does, yeah. All right. So my pick of the week um, are AirPods. Ah, uh-huh. Yeah. Finally finally got some, huh? Uh, some would be correct. I have two pairs of them. Um, yeah. So, ah, shit, where's my notes? Um, yeah, they... They look goofy as hell, um, and I will not wear them outside the house for fear of ostracism. Uh, but I love them. They they are they are spectacular, and they look really dumb. Why do Why do you have two pairs? So one's uh, for my iPhone, and one is for my Apple TV. Because here's the thing: they are the perfect. Uh, like nighttime movie headphones for Apple TV. So you, so you, you know that the same pair can. It's such a hassle. It is worth a hundred and five dollars to not have to go into settings. Aren't they? Are they like a hundred and sixty? Uh, I got the hookup. Anyway, okay, okay. Um, it is so like having because I used to do this with sometimes I would use like my Power Beats since I have like the Bose Sound Sports. Um, that I use for running now, but it was always such a huge pain in the ass to to um, pair up any Bluetooth headphones with the with the Apple TV. But you're, like the thing with the AirPods is you literally just you just pop them in. It moves from the audio from my soundbar to the headphones. You take them out, goes back to the soundbar. No settings, no nothing. And the fact that there's like literally a dedicated pair just for the TV works perfectly every time. Yeah, the the well, I guess you're actually not doing this, but the you know, for me, one of the one of my favorite parts about them is switching between devices. I and mean, my my typical use case is switching between my iPhone and my Mac, and sometimes even between my iPhone and my iPad. And it's 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 amazing how seamless that is. It it takes you know it it takes a half beat longer than you than it maybe should, but it's very reliable which can be not said very often about Bluetooth devices. Um, and it's, you know, it's just one tap away at all times. And, and you, you obviously, you only pair it with your iPhone and then it's available to all your devices that are on the same iCloud account. So you don't have to go through that, you know, same pairing process over and over again. So how does that actually work? Cause I haven't tried to pair them up to the Mac. So if you know, if your Mac is logged into your same iCloud account as your iPhone, when you um, go to so if you if you have the Bluetooth icon in your um, taskbar, then 
um, or what, what I, I'm using Windows language here, but the the menu bar, the menu bar. Thank you. Um, AirPods will be an option to connect to, and you when you click connect, they become the default sound device for the Mac. And then if you go back to your iPhone and click connect, they'll disconnect from the Mac and connect to your iPhone. And it's you know it's really really easy and, and involves basically no setup. And they will automatically revert back to um, to your iPhone so that it's just as quick. No. And you're not. So that's that's the thing. Yeah. So so you do even if you so when you put the AirPods back in, even if you're out of range of the Mac, they do not automatically go back to the iPhones to the iPhone if your Mac was the last device they were connected to. So that's you know that that could be a little bit better, but. Um, but again, it's over in general works really, really well, and certainly better than any other Bluetooth device. Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer, but I, I hope they fix that because isn't that one supposed to be one of the big iOS eleven features? Is that the 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 pairing and iCloud handoff is supposed to be better? Oh, really? I haven't haven't seen that. I think so. That'd be great. Yeah, but again, this this is a hashtag. Uh, Ryan was right. Oh, see, was this the one that was going to make me mad? Yes, just because I railed so hard against it. And and I don't think I'm wrong. I do still think they look really, really dumb. Um, And I went for not a late night walk, but like around like uh, eight o'clock a couple days ago. And like, they're super comfortable. And it's so much like the thing is, they're just so much better than the power beats or any of the things that have cables between them. Because like, it's always like a like a 15 second, like, let me make sure they're seated properly in your ears and all this kind of stuff and we turn them on whereas these you just flick open the case pop them in and it's the one and a half seconds and and you're connected and ready to go and there's there's so much to be said for that yeah yeah they they really do just have to be experienced not not really something that looks all that great on just a slide or on, during a presentation it's you really need to just try them out yourself and yeah once you do you instantly realize how great they are i can't wait for the third generation for the ones that don't look this dumb (laughs) because i don't think anybody thinks they look good but functionally they're spectacular Mm -hmm. and how how satisfying is the opening and closing that case it's pretty good right kind of but can i ruin it for you Mm. Because that is, well, actually, like, there are two things with this. Uh, remember at the, the Relay meetup? The the stickers? Yes. And I didn't get one for the earpods because I'm like, I'm never going to buy earpods. Mm. And, like, the, the sticker, like, because that they had was, like, it was supposed because it looks like dental floss. And I was like, uh, that's that's weird. But it's perfect. And I'm so pissed I didn't grab a sticker. <laughs> they are selling them for three fifty, and I'm really, really tempted to to get it. Because, yeah, it says cool, fresh shows on it, and that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you have your AirPods in front of you? I, I don't, know. Okay. So, yeah, the clicking on the thing is really good. But the problem is, and I was like, oh, that's that's so nice and secure. But um, the top moves a little bit, like left to right, so it's not a very secure fit. And I was like, oh, maybe there's just one bad one. But no, the other pair I have do it, too. No, yeah, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's really it's not very satisfying. Well, I I still think it's pretty good. Yeah, overall, good first generation product for Apple. Mm-hmm. No, I I get it now. Yep, I don't get it outside, but I get it. 
All right, and then I, I've called down my other picks of the week. The only other one I will recommend, if you're looking for something to watch, uh, Hassan Minaj of The Daily Show has a really, really, really good uh, Netflix stand-up special that people should watch. Yeah, I saw you. I saw you put this. Um, saw you put that on Twitter the other day. Yeah, really, really good. And what what is it? This is like a stand-up stand-up comedy thing. Stand-up comedy. It's like a personal like storytelling, like one-man show thing. It's 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 just really funny. Uh, really timely with just kind of how things are going. Homecoming King is that the name of this? Yes, okay, yes. We'll, we'll takes this. place in takes place in uh, luxurious Davis, California. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll put this in the notes. All right. I think that's it, guys. All right. Stay safe from all those corgi sharks. <laughs>